This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, okay, it's September. See us this month. Very, very strange energy I'm bringing into September, but wow, I mean, what a summer. It's not totally over yet, but my point is we're in September, which is my favorite month. It is my birthday month, and it's not because I'm some kind of strange adult who's obsessed with their birthday, but rather (laughs) I just love... Wait, wait. Sidebar, what's up with those people? You know that friend, guys. You have that friend. And like, we just let them get away with it every year. (laughs) Don't get away with it. Who am I to judge? You're a woman in her 40s. You need to get over your birthday is what you are. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I'm talking to that woman. It's any age. Any age other than like, once you're in double digits and you're over 10 years old, settle down on the Let let an 11-year-old have their (laughs) Fine, fine. 18, 21, where, where, when can we put the limit on like celebrating yourself to like a weird degree that you make your friends spend a lot of money and or time on you and like want all attention on you? I have a friend who has a birthday month. She literally calls oh, me I know the first. people like that. I know. She's like, well, it's my month. And I think she's kidding, but I'm not sure. And it's not just Matlin, everyone. <laughs> I think there are probably reasons that that person will never reveal or that person might not be aware of. Or maybe you know, that person's just celebrating life, and that there's nothing wrong with that. Are. Or they just want, I you know, whenever I've gotten people together for my birthday, it's like you know, it's not about me and my birthday. It's like an excuse to get people together because there are fewer of those. Like as you get older, which I've definitely noticed in like the past. No, like, that's five one years. thing. I don't think that's what I'm. You know, that's not the energy. But, I'm oh, talking you mean about. I'm talking the person that. Like we're all meeting at this restaurant, and then we're going mm-hmm. here, and then like you can't leave. And then there's, oh, so-and-so isn't coming? Why isn't she coming? Like, what is so important that she can't come to my birthday? And then you have to be on the birthday girl side, and then there's all yeah. this drama. We're all taking shots, you and know then... Who, yeah. You know who would help yeah. us work through this, actually? Who? Philosopher Heather Widows. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, I didn't mean for that to be the segue, but here we are. She talks a lot about self-image, 
how one wants to be perceived, how one perceives themselves. Heather Widows was definitely like a choice for Fat Mascara because she's not a makeup artist. She's not a hairstylist. She's not a brand founder. I don't see her creating a line of lip gloss anytime this year, but rather she's a professor of philosophy. That's right. Yeah. And she, she also talks a lot about applied ethics. And if you want to know what those are, <laughs> you're going to want to stay tuned. <laughs> I literally had to ask her. I really, I did not ever study philosophy. And, and if you haven't either, you're going to find this fascinating because she does talk about that. But then we do talk about beauty standards and the really important conversations that we like to have here at Fat Mascara. So just so you know, this was originally, this is the best of Fat Mascara, but it originally aired in July, 2021 when she was professor of philosophy and the pro vice chancellor at University of Birmingham. Today, she's the professor of philosophy at the University of Warwick. Is that how you say that? Or is it like Warwick? I don't know. I think, it's, I think Warwick. it's Warwick. I think it's Warwick. Sorry to our British listeners. Warwick? Warwick. 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 We, I think a lot of American mouths don't do that. We don't make that yeah, There's a lot of R going War, on there. Warwick. Yeah. Good Lord. I hope she's not listening again to Well, she might because like it was a great interview and we talked about things she doesn't always talk about. But anyway, she's also been featured in publications like The Guardian, The New York Times, Vogue. And since we aired this, she's been writing for publications like Psychology Today. I saw her byline on an article just like mm. two months ago. And I was like, oh, every time I see your name, I get so excited because this is truly, truly, this one was for, I mean, you all like it too. It's a, it's a popular episode, but this is one of my favorite interviews. And that's why I wanted to include it in the best of FM canon, if you will. So <laughs> get this. We're going to be back next week on Wednesday, live and in charge, 500th episode. But until then, here is Heather Widows. Okay, Professor Heather Widows, welcome to Fat Mascara. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to just keep calling you Professor. Because, Please call me Heather. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that is what you are, and you're a philosopher. And so we're going to have a great discussion about beauty ethics, beauty ideals. But before we get into that, I have to say you are the first philosopher <laughs> we have ever had on our podcast, and we've been doing this a while. So... I think it might be helpful, at least for me, someone who hasn't studied philosophy, for you to explain what a philosopher does. What do you do? The easiest answer that I can give to that is the answer that my husband, who's a historian, gave to my daughter when she was very little. And he said, Daddy tells stories about how the world used to be. And Mummy, Mummy's a philosopher. She tells stories about how the world should be. So that's kind of how to think of it. What should what should we be doing? So as a moral philosopher, I think about values. I think about what human beings are, what we could be, how we should arrange society to bring out our best, to make us flourish, how we can enable human beings to live their best and fullest possible lives. I love that. And, and obviously you teach students as well and, and you've written books um, and we'll get into that. But I, I've noticed, and the reason we're having you on the show is because you focused some of your research and some of your philosophizing, I don't even know if that's a verb, um, on beauty ideals and how society treats the concept of human beauty. So I'm curious what even drew you to this topic? I imagine your professors when you were studying were like, uh, okay. What's going on here? Well, I didn't turn to beauty, I have to be honest, until I was a full and very established professor. Because you're right, I would have got okay. some very strange looks. Um, so I started off my career um, as a global ethicist. So most of my work in the first 10, 15 years of my career was all around much more traditional ethical issues. So, you know, women's rights, genetic justice, climate change, all the things where you think we should be thinking about how to respond with our values and our systems of governments and what should we do? How do we you know, protect rights and um, the environment and all of the issues that, that you might think of when you think ethics? Um, and gradually I began to think there's something really weird going on with beauty, with visual culture, and that this is an issue of global justice too. So beauty ideals are shaping what human beings can be and do, just as much as some of our inequality might be and other very standard issues in global justice and ethics. So actually, I just began to rethink beauty as an issue of global justice. But I got to say, like, what do you mean? What is a, a beauty ideal? What is a, what, what does that actually mean? Because I, I never took a philosophy class. Actually, I did, but then I, I dropped out after a week. Sorry. 
True story. <laughs> Rutgers, Uni- Rutgers University. It was that bad. <laughs> uh, so an ethical ideal um, is it, just really quite simple. It's, or the, um, the beauty ideal. The beauty ideal. Well, the beauty, the beauty. If I'm talking about the beauty ideal, um, I'm, I'm talking about it as an ethical ideal. So to understand mm-hmm. the beauty ideal, you have to understand what an ethical ideal is. And an ethical ideal is just simply the stuff we value. We judge ourselves on. If we if we do it right, we think we're succeeding. If we don't do it right, we think we're failing. And when I talk about the beauty ideal becoming an ethical ideal, what I mean is that we're valuing ourselves by our bodies, by how we look. We think if we get our body right, we'll get our life right. We'll have a flourishing, a happy life. If we get our body wrong, then everything else will go wrong. And when I'm teaching mm-hmm. students, I talk about things like, well, look at our New Year's resolutions, right? Nearly all, all of those nearly are about the body. We lose weight, we exercise. And this is what we think will give us a better self and a better life. And if you compare that to the ideals we used to have, they were much more about our character. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be a better mum. There's this lovely quote I have from a, a, a teenage girl's diary. And I'm going to get the year wrong, but it's something like 1792 or something on you know, 1892, very wrong, but a long time ago, but not so long we don't get it, where she says, oh, I resolve to be better. I resolve to think before I speak. I resolve to be more caring and more self-contained, right? So the aspiration for a good self that would then deliver the goods of the good life was to have this kind of more, more, more thoughtful, more caring character. And now we seem to think that actually, if we can just get our bodies right, then we'll have all those things, all the goods of the good life that we used to think came through having a better self. So it's a really interesting shift. Our selves have almost become our bodies. And this is really different from what we used to value and care about. Where did that switch happen? So it's kind of in progress. Um, and it's almost crept up on us. The fact that when you talk about that, people go, oh yeah, of course that's true. But At no point did we suddenly notice there was a change happening. It happened around us almost incrementally. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's it's very much in in progress. And it's not like it's one or the other. We still do some of both. But certainly we've moved to a place where how we look and how we appear is something we judge ourselves and others on. But would you peg it to like, you know, I feel like in the 50s, I feel I'm no historian, but I feel like women were dieting and doing all of that. So when was it, you know, when like magazines came around or? Not just in the 50s, but all the way back in time, right? We've never thought that appearance doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very rarely been the thing that we judge ourselves on. And also it's often been for a short period of time and only certain people and only for a short period of time rather than this ongoing thing. So one of the arguments I'm making perfect me is I track that the um, requirement to do body work, to have this kind of perfect or more normalised body has extended. It extends over types of people. So it's not just, you know, young women, it's all women and it starts really young and it goes almost into old age as, you know, 30s, the new 40 or whatever else. And you're supposed to be keenly ready when you're 70 and you're supposed to have a, you know, naked pregnancy shot with that really cute little pregnancy bump because even when you're Mm -hmm. pregnant you're supposed to show your worth by having the right pregnancy so the the body's gone from something that yes of course we've we've always cared about appearance in some sense to something that is a a barometer of almost all of the things we do so you're a good mum if you get that bikini body back you know after the pregnancy as opposed to the other thing. So it really interesting is the way that celebrities present. So if you go back to some of the 80s magazines, you know, when you're, you're interviewing that Hollywood actress, you'd be having her in the magazine, you know, with her nice house and pool, but you'd also have the husband there and the perfect kids because the status is partly from the relationship. Now, even when we're talking about being a good mum, you're proving it by, you know, popping back into your pre-pregnancy body within a matter of weeks because somehow that's showing that you're delivering. Right, right. Is it just, you're mentioning women a lot. Um, Is it just for women that you are studying this and proposing this or? 
So in Perfect Me, I do track the beauty ideal for women. And there are four features, thinness in some form. So usually um, with curves and increasingly very pronounced curves. And there's there's, uh, interesting things going on there about um, how cosmetic surgery plays into the changing shapes of of beauty ideals. Um, Firmness, smoothness and youth. So the four features that track for women are those four. And those are the ones that I track through Perfect Me, through all kinds of different measures. Now, I looked at global ideals for men, and the only feature that globally tracks as yet for men is tallness. So it's certainly... Are you serious? Oh, yes. I, I am. Skin doesn't matter? Not in, the, not, in this, not in that there's a uniform, only this works. So across the beauty ideals, it moves in one way. So there's some areas where it's quite similar. So if you think about that kind of muscled up, hunk that's quite similar to the beauty firm. ideal right yeah. if it's firm yeah. it's not fat but it's firm and smooth and young big but definitely not fat but then it's also possible to have lots of other ideals in other places there are some places where you know we're still really into bearded men in some places we're into smooth men in some places you're allowed to have the dad bod and the, you know it's much much less obvious that there's one range coming in whereas in women's ideals it is much much more globally the case but men are worrying more one of the reasons we're panicking is that oh, men are getting I, I wanted stuff. you to say something like that yeah. just like yeah. <laughs> I'm curious you mentioned global so clearly I remember studying like back in the day like different cultures would appreciate different things in beauty ideals like some skins would uh, some cultures would appro- uh, would appreciate a curvier body some wouldn't are you saying that that sort of, sort of blended together and that around the world you're finding the same ideals? Right. So I'm, I'm finding that the ideals track in the same direction. So in places where okay. we used to value bigger figures, we're now moving towards valuing underweight figures. So South Africa is a good example. In the most recent studies, it's underweight figures that are now valued when it didn't used to be. So there's a so I'm not arguing that there's this one single thing, right? You don't all have to look okay. like Barbie, but the trends are moving in the same direction and the range that you're allowed to be gets narrower and narrower. So, you know, the thinness with curves becomes something that it, it manifests slightly differently in different places, but the drive to thinness is now global. Um, the, the focus on uh, lighter, more homogenous uh, skin tones. So we have this global mean is the kind of coffee coloured bronze or gold skin. So And you trade features off against each other. So some features are more important in one place or another. But it's the case that globally, the trends are going in the same direction towards this thin with curves, smooth, firm and young. And I imagine this is all based on like research and surveys of the population, not just you looking at pictures and being like, I think this is what everybody's doing. So I'm a philosopher, right? So I don't do empirical research, but what I do is what you'd kind of talk about if you wanted to use terminology like meta-analysis. So I look at eating disorders across the world. I look at surgery trends across the world. I look at the sociological ethnographic studies of what people say they do. I look at the psychological studies about body image anxiety. So I do that kind of across across the whole um, what, what's yeah. going on. So so that so the example I just gave you, South African, is a is a study done by a sociologist, and and I take hundreds of studies and track the trends. Do you think this is because of you know social media and just the world being able to see all of the same images at the same time? Kind of the shrinking of our like you know visual language. The, the shrinking of the global culture, that's for sure one of the drivers, that we do sort of all live in the same Instagram world and we're kind of comparing ourselves across cultures. So psychologists would argue that our peer comparison group has gone from, you know, your little village where, mm-hmm. you know, you may have been, you know, not not the best nor the worst in the class, you know, and you sort of, you know, but hey, that's it. Yeah. And very soon it matters less. Beauty matters less when you get to know people more, right? Um, and now suddenly we're in a world yeah. where appearance matters an awful lot and you don't know people very well. It's all much more transitory. So that bit of your identity and of how you judge people kind of gets bigger. So that's one factor. Another is that kind of weird celebrity thing that I talked about before, that that it's your body that's telling you other things about who you are. So, you know, the body that's in control is telling you that you're, you know, that you're a capable businesswoman, that you're an organised mum, all those other things. 
that you might have signalled in a different way. And that's kind of a strange way that consumption is playing out, where instead of buying the right car or the right house or the it bag, we're buying the body. So, you know, um, it's the, the, you know, you're buying the, the, the shape of the body to say something about who yeah. you are. Uh, and that's a, that's a strange shift. Another bit is just that we can do it. You know, so if I'm, if I'm teaching, I talk about Elizabeth I because she was apparently very vain and she wanted to look you know, wrinkle-free. So she um, ha- had a habit, historians tell us, of wearing a lot of white lead on her face, which actually didn't do her much good in the long term, and wearing big ruffs around her neck to hide her ageing, wrinkly neck. Um, so there wasn't a lot yeah. she could do. Right now, the list is endless. You can do, you could spend morning, noon and night doing everything from your daily lotions and potions that are full of all your resurfacing and inc- wrinkly raising cream to injectables to surgery. And it all becomes more and more normal. And that's the thing about a global ideal that's not true of local ideals. When it becomes global, then it grad- the, the work involved gradually becomes invisible so if it's a local ideal, then it's obviously about yeah. beauty. It's obviously work. And then as soon as it becomes a global ideal, it starts to be invisible. So if you think about some really extreme beauty ideals, like the Chinese bound foot or Victorians wearing corsets, right? they were really demanding. They were really hard on your body. But they were always about beauty because they were always only ever local. So that that aristocratic Chinese woman with that tiny lotus foot, she might have believed it was beautiful. She might have believed it was desirable, even perfect, but she could never have believed it was normal or natural. And as we have a global ideal, things gradually become normalised and naturalised. So the example I constantly go back to because I love it is body hair removal. Right, that hairless, smooth body okay. is increasingly becoming seen as a, as a natural body, a hygiene practice, rather than an adornment practice that's actually really quite demanding. So the body work gets hidden and beauty practices become recast as health or hygiene practices. And that way the, the kind of demands rise without us noticing in a way that couldn't have happened when it wasn't a global ideal. Yeah. So as it rises to first, like a health and hygiene ideal, and then if you continued on that spectrum, I imagine is where you start to get into, okay, now it's like a moral thing and an ethical thing. Like at at what point do you get to, is this where the guilt comes in? I guess is what I'm about to ask. Like if I haven't done it, am I a bad person? Like I'm looking at my picture and I still have pimples on my photo and I feel like I'm a bad person. Look at the villains in like a Disney movie. They always put a couple warts on the villain. You know what I mean? Like, at what point do we get to that crossover? Or are you saying we're there? I I, I think in many instances we're there. Certainly we're now at the point where body shame um, is almost um, defining of very many people a lot of the time. So if you look at body image anxiety, very many... um, young women and girls and increasingly young boys will not do all kinds of things for fear of being shamed about how they look. And, you know, surveys will tell us from things like speaking up in class to doing exercise to even going out of the house. Like, we all know what a bad hair day is, right? The fact that we know what a bad hair yeah. day is, that tells you something about I mean, even the word bad and good, it's like, it's not like pretty and not pretty, it's bad and good. And it's all over. Morality is all over beauty talk. You know, you have failed when you've let yourself go. You know, you deserve it. You're worth it. These are, these are just moral judgment terms and it's everywhere in beauty. Do you remember um, in the first Sex in the City movie when they're in Mexico and Miranda comes out in her swimsuit and her pubic hair is like outside of her bathing suit and they kind of, they, that kind of, they closed up and it's like, and Samantha makes this really funny joke and it's just like, oh my God, like, blah, blah, blah. but then it becomes a serious moment and Miranda, it's sad, Miranda gets upset and she was like, it's like, you realize she's wounded. Miranda, Miranda's like, so you think that, you know, Steve left me because I like let myself go. Like, you know, like basically, yeah, he cheated on her because she like stopped shaving her or waxing her, you know, badge. It's so right. It could, but body shaming cuts so deeply and yet we don't take it seriously we think it's funny or we think it's normal and yet actually the shame involved in, in you know, fat shaming is 
the most obvious example, but we do it about body hair. We increasingly do it about wrinkles. Is that like what you're describing yeah. is, is the little red circles in the magazines that show, you know, the cellulite or the the the, the failure. And the, the implication, right, is not that, oh God, right, why are we calling this out? The implication is you should do better, you know, sort your body out. That's your fault. And it's women who do it to each other. I actually I thought it was like a very kind of um, like clever edit. You know, because it's like when the it's it's just how women have put these expectations on each other, and we do things like first, do we do them for ourselves? Do we do it for men? Do we do it for women? Do we do it for fashion? Like, why do we do these things? It's and she was like a tired mom. You know, it was just it's so many things at once. The judging is ubiquitous and universal. So, yeah. I mean, our, in our, you know, we have a project where people upload their body shaming stories and it's done by all kinds of people and all kinds of reasons, by your mum, your grandma, men, women, sometimes even for good intentions. It's extraordinary. And yet all it does is induce shame and guilt. Completely, completely not something we should be doing. You talk in your book about like the as we know we can do more, like all these ways to fix ourselves if we want to, we should. You also talk about how the ethics works. But I'm worried now as I'm talking to you about like all these products out there. I've noticed in the last maybe five years of doing my job, the number of products available to help me remove hair or not, or to get wrinkles or not, just the sheer volume of them has increased exponentially. Does that work into your hypothesis that like, yeah, because the more you see the things that are fixing, the more you think you need to be fixed? So it's it's seen as a recession-proof market because we care about it so much. So I, I can't remember the exact number, but it used to be the case, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, that most makeup um, routines were eight steps and now they're like in the 20 something steps and that's just just the makeup before you get to the various layerings of serums and, and creams and, and other products so that I mean that's a little bit of uh, the kind of you know capitalism at work right there is a, an unending um, ability to set, sell us stuff but it's not the only reason it's just one piece of the puzzle so if what we valued was great intellect right we'd all be out there buying mind enhancing drugs and having various you know implants in our brains right we wouldn't be worrying about whether our teeth are straight and our pores are small like small pores that's that this is another great one right small pores that was not a thing when I was growing up it really wasn't it definitely wasn't when my mother was growing up my daughter is now 13 oh my god Large pores are a thing, right? This is this is like classic. Really? Oh yeah, classic capitalism. You create a problem and then you sell people something to fix it. Well, right. So there's the chicken and the egg thing there, though, right? Right. But again, we only value, we only buy it because what we value is the smooth, perfect skin, right? We've, we've and there and there you can also see the tech at, at work because one of the reasons we value the smooth skin is we've got used to looking at skin on screens where it's never, right, we know it's never real skin. It's not the same as sitting across a dinner table at somebody, it's filtered, it's touched up, or it's just the way that screens change how one looks. And yet we aspire to Instagram perfect skin, even though we know it's not actually real. All right, we know that even the most doctored celebrity doesn't actually look like that when she's walking down the, the street. And at the same time, we have those magazines. But there's something about visual culture that even though we know it, it still feeds our pictures of how we should look, our imaginings of our perfect self. I just keep thinking, going back in history, to like whoever invented the first mirror, like she was just like, <laughs> whoever that person was, like that set off a whole trajectory. know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. 
With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey everyone, it's Jen. You know Jess and I often talk about how Aloe Moves helps us stay fit. But May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I really wanted to point out how amazing the site and app are for mental health as well. It is so easy for me to get stuck in a rut mentally or get stressed out or feel lonely when I'm working from home. I'm guessing you've all been there too. But I found that a much more productive way to deal with those feelings, or even just like a bad day, is to hop on allomoves.com and reset. Allo Moves is the award-winning on-demand streaming wellness platform app and website that has workouts, mindfulness, nutrition, self-care, and more to help boost your mental and physical well-being. I also love that I can take the same class as friends or connect with other members in the community comments. Allo Moves really brings people together. Lately, I have been very into the five-minute relaxation body scan with Susie Mark Shifflin. Guys, Susie is the most soothing instructor. She incorporates these sound bath sounds into her head-to-toe relaxation exercise. It's so easy to do. Obviously, there are also yoga classes and exercise classes and so many other things you can learn and check out on allomoves.com, but I just had to share that one with you. Find yourself together when you join Allomoves. Join the community on allomoves.com today and use code FATMASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code MASCARA20 for a 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. Again, that's allomoves.com and the code is MASCARA20. Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. Just kidding. It's really wedding season. But I just got an invitation to a wedding in Philadelphia, and guess what I'll be wearing? Honey love. I'm not sure about the rest of the outfit or the dress, but the shapewear is going to be honey love. Here's why. Honey love has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating when you're wearing shapewear. Plus, They have lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off, and all their fabrics are breathable to keep you nice and cool, which is perfect for hot days. Let me tell you a story. I remember being at a wedding, this was a few years ago, pre-Honey Love, and I wore a jumpsuit, and I wasn't sure if the bathroom door locked well, but I had to take off the entire jumpsuit and then roll down the shapewear to pee, and I was like holding onto the back of the door at the same time, completely naked in the bathroom, and it took so long, and I caused this whole backup of the bathroom line, and after that, I was like, never again. Until Honey Love came along. Honey Love's superpower shorts have a 100% cotton gusset so you don't have to wear underwear underneath. And there's a convenient opening in the underwear area so you don't have to take off the whole thing to go to the bathroom. It's so easy. Honey Love products make you look good and feel good. Whether it's for a wedding, event, an everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com mascara. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash mascara. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Honeylove.com slash mascara for 20% off. The summer vibes are just getting started, so shape your life with Honey Love. you talked about some of the downsides of becoming an ethical ideal and what what happens is obviously you have a 13-year-old daughter. I feel like you're like (laughs) front lines of this right now. Are there any upsides before we get back into what we can do to fix it? Like, is there anything that's like, why would this come about in a society if there wasn't some positive to it? I'm not saying I believe there is. I'm just curious to, I'm philosophizing with you. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what we should do, right? That's, that's exactly what we should do. Think about what on earth is going on and why. And yeah, you're absolutely right. There are actually lots of positives. And um, one of the things that frustrates me is people often sit on either side of this debate. They say, oh no, it's all great. It's all choice. It's all self-expression. Or they sit on the other side and go, no, it's all terrible. It's all evil. It's all dominance. And actually the truth is right. The truth is in the middle, right? If we keep going the way we're going, yes, we're going for more, 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 demanding and harder to live with but if we don't if we think about the positive aspects of this there are creative aspects of this um it is 
important that we think of ourselves as bodies and not just minds or something. So philosophers used to just think about the mind and they used to talk about the ghosts in the machine. Right, that's no good, right? We spend a lot of our lives as babies or as um, elderly dependent people, right? We need to recognise that we're partly bodies. Bodies fail, bodies have needs. We have to think about our embodied being. Sometimes the only um, touch that you will get as an adult that is not a health touch or a sexual touch, is the beauty touch. We've actually created a whole world mm. where we legitimise really important social touching in the beauty context. I use the example of somebody in an old people's home where maybe that weekly hairdresser is the only time they get a touch that is caressing mm. and not um, perfunctionary or for health reasons. Um, there's all kinds of bonding practices that we've created around beauty, um, especially women, but from you know shopping to sharing each other's clothes to doing makeup together now of course they're not necessary to beauty right we could have some other reason that we did it um but at the moment they are beauty in our society so we don't want to you know pretend that those aren't really positive and enriching aspects of beauty culture so i think it's not about criticizing it all it's about trying to pick the creative and life-giving bits of it and the celebratory bits um and to push back against the dominating and demanding myths. Yeah. Just thinking then back to the dominating and negative sides, do you see the standard of beauty changing even further as we go further down this path? Like I can picture right now that beauty ideal you described earlier. Who, who? But in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, is that going to be like a robot? Like what would happen to our beauty ideal? Do you know what I mean? I think you you might be onto something there. We're definitely moving to more of a plastic perfection. You know, what people aspire to is increasingly this kind of, you know, almost plastic Barbie-ish kind of, of face and body. Um, and interestingly, people start, there's this movement where people are starting to take, they're not taking pictures of celebrities to the cosmetic surgeon. They're kind of taking their best doctored selfie. So the self that they want to create is their own kind of like, so obviously that's just like some anecdotal stuff from some surgeons of what's been going on, especially post-pandemic when people have been sitting on Zoom. They're then going, oh, I need to fix all this. But, you know, I like this doctored selfie. It's a really interesting trend. But yeah, I, I think we will, right? We've normalised um, the removal of body hair. In many places, we've normalised all kinds of injectables, not as something you do when you've got wrinkles and you're old, but as something that you do before beforehand to prevent you ever getting them so to introduce having routine relatively invasive body work in the same way as we go to the hairdresser and in some countries so thinking about you know South Korea or Lebanon or Brazil we've already routinized cosmetic surgery is a very normal part of life and if the trends keep going in the same way and if the ideal remains you know um, thin with ever exaggerated curves right that will mean more intervention and more body work because you cannot have a tiny thin waist and a huge luxurious backside without some kind of intervention or some body work but do you think like i mean there's definitely a group of people like a, a you know certainly a lot of gen z is rebelling against this idea of hyper perfection sort of um you know the instagram aesthetic you know, they're showing um, like, you know, unfiltered skin. Uh, you know, it, it would be completely unheard of to have, you know, underarm hair and leg hair at a pool party when I was younger. But now there's, I'm sure, people even in your daughter's class, you know, who maybe are rejecting that they need to shave because as like a rite of passage. So while I don't think that's the majority is definitely something that didn't exist when I was 13 and, you know, an adolescent. Do you think that they could possibly upend or like take a take a good swing at the beauty ideal? I sort of hope they could, but I'm a little <laughs> bit cynical about how much local resistance does, especially when it's often Instagrammed, right? So that it that so often on the body positive movements of different sorts, so whether it's body hair or whether it's fat acceptance, what you'll often find, and, and this might this might be the next piece of work, is that what is critiqued is only one of those four aspects of the ideal. So um on the January campaigns, I don't know if you saw that, mm -hmm. you you'd get lots of pictures of what were incredibly usually conforming women. So they were they were thinnish smoothish youngish with with you know with body hair yeah, and just like on a lot of the um 
for you know fast acceptance campaigns, you'll get incredibly beautiful, bigger women, but often very made up in quite stereotypical ways. And even in those with 90s, smooth skin, with smooth skin, firmness, yeah. and even in 1950s pinup poses. Um, so it's actually quite rare to see real diversity that's that's really pushing back. And also, even when it is, it's always about the body. But like, these are not. So you know, all of these campaigns still focus on the body. It's very hard to find things that think about things that other features that are not simply how one looks. So it's on. There's a strange thing that we haven't come to terms with in the visual culture about how we use the pressure of images to do real diversity. So often in a, uh, I was talking recently. Um, I won't tell you which magazine. There's somebody from one of the, one of the magazines who's trying to do diversity and asking me exactly these things. Like, how do we do by diversity in fashion that pushes back? And I'm like, well, when you're doing your fashion shoot, have a look at your models and make sure that you haven't just got one old one, but who's basically really slim and quite good looking and one bigger one. Right? Make sure you've got proper diversity where we're seeing all kinds of body shapes, hairlessness, uh, disability, old features, and together and in a way that you have presented them that as beautiful so it's much easier to have body hair for instance when you are relatively young than when you are much older and fatter and um you know going to an, an event so there is a there is a um there, there there's a context there so they're I cherry do, picking they're cherry picking and also often they're young enough to get away with it <laughs> like it's easy to look like um you know you can be like I'm trying to think of who would be like you can be Cara Delevingne and have a little armpit hair, right? That's no, that's not bravery. <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of like it's good that it recognizes that body hair is natural again, and it's it's got its heart in the right place. Whether whether yeah. those kind of things are going to be enough to really do anything to challenge this increasingly dominant beauty ideal, I don't know. And whether we are going to stop shaming, shaming for people. And right, if we were really challenging it out, we wouldn't even be commenting on it, right? Because we'd have made it normal. The diversity would be normal. The fact that yeah, we, we wouldn't have to look at us being right, diverse. Yeah. Exactly. The fact we have to champion it, it means that it's that it, it the, the not yeah. it's so strong. So this is why I always focus not on what individuals do, right? I don't think I don't think it's we're really challenging it effectively we've been talking for 25 years you know about resisting the beauty ideal you know when when Naomi Wolf wrote her book right that was all about mm-hmm. oh god this is awful let's resist it women push back right as a as collectively women globally did not push back and it's easier to push back the more in the more privileged position you are the more easy it is not to conform it's much harder not to conform if you're you know working in in your local bar or supermarket and that's the policy and that's your livelihood and you're doing three jobs not to wear makeup when it's expected is much harder uh, you know if you look at the poorest places in the world places where skin lightening cream is sold in in much of sub-saharan africa skin lightening cream that's actually been through latin america so it's actually much more dangerous because the chemicals have become more intense intense and mm-hmm. people have lost the uh, instructions so, which say don't go out in the sun so it's desperately damaging you find that actually it's much harder so I'm really resistant to those messages not because I don't think they've got their hearts in the right place but for 25 yeah. years we've been telling women don't do this the more money we've had the more power we've had the more we've won other feminist agendas on education and, and marriage the more we've done beauty so I, I think we should just stop thinking about resistance as what we do and start thinking about it as culture change because then we'll be less critical of each other. When we think about resistance as what we do, we actually start watching bodies more. We spend more time looking at other women. Oh, has she had work done? Is she growing her body hair? Is she wearing makeup? And that just makes us beat up on each other. So if we don't think about what we should do or not do and actually think about where can we push back on the culture change, maybe we'll work together and be less critical of ourselves and each other. Yeah, and it definitely... I, I love what you said about taking a place of privilege because I'm just thinking if you're trying to get a job at a supermarket or whatever it is, you don't have the privilege to come in not being beauty standards, not having like put like some cream on your face and shaved your hair and at least tried to look presentable because it's your it's your livelihood. You just need to make money. So I guess being in a place of privilege like I am, I'm like, okay, let's... Let's do this, Heather. So when that brings me to this point. Now we're very aware, or we were 
which everybody is, of these ideals. Like, has it changed how you think about yourself and your grooming? Like, as much as you study it and you're aware that these are there, like, how do you fight against this happening? So come back just to my last point is I, I absolutely refuse to think about what individuals do or don't do. So in terms of myself, I'm just kinder to myself. I don't have that split feminist personality anymore of, oh my goodness, I, I feel like, you know, I should be looking a certain way, but oh no, that's not being feminist. I just now think that's just bullshit. Right, it, it's just a yeah. way to stop us addressing this. So I'm just much kinder to myself. Um, and mm-hmm. and I, I think I'm therefore much kinder to everybody else because I, I, I just think the, the last thing that we should ever do on this is focus on what we do or don't do. Yeah, which goes into what you're saying, which is the whole moral thing, which is what we want to get away from. You, um, you also uh, talk, have talked about the concept of lookism. And um, can you just explain what that is and, and how prevalent that is? Right. Of course. Thank you for asking. So lookism is just appearance discrimination. So just like uh, sexism is discrimination on grounds of gender and racism is discrimination on grounds of ethnicity, lookism is discrimination on how you look. And it's actually ridiculously prevalent. Believe it or not, appearance bullying is the most prevalent form of bullying in schools, much more so than others. And yet we have a lot less resources to tackle it because it's not a protected characteristics. It's not sex. It's not race. So we have much less ways to kick back against it. And in fact, we don't even necessarily call it. So part of the point of talking about lookism is to say, look, if we can name a problem, then we can start to address it. So if you think back to to Mad Men and you, you think about the 1950s and the sort of overt sexism happening absolutely everywhere. So you knew damn well that that punch on the bum was not complimentary. It was actually a way of putting you down and putting you in your place. But it was presented as if it was a compliment or as if it was nothing or if it was a bit of banter. That's currently where lookism is. Right. So you know that the, you know, when your friend calls out your pubic hair, right, that that's not her being nice or funny, right? Or, you know, when you get shamed, yeah. it's a way of putting you down. It's a way of pulling rank, doing something, right? And yet we can feel uncomfortable, but instead of pushing back and calling out the person who's doing it, we feel ashamed of our bodies. So yeah. we're now at a point with sexism, right? We don't do that. People are happy to share their sexist stories on everyday sexism, on Twitter, on social media, because they know it's not okay. They're pushing back against the person who's done it and they're not feeling ashamed yeah. of themselves. They're feeling damn angry that they've been catcalled or whatever. With lookism, we're nowhere near that. When you get a lookist comment... Like lookism hasn't had its like me too moment. It has not. Can I ask you a question? Like I think about... Oh my God. Like I think about this one kid all of the time that I grew up with and he was bullied for his looks. And I, it was so painful to watch as a child. Like it was obviously the most painful was for him and his parents. I don't know his parents. I was so young, but like he was definitely unquestionably bullied for his looks. But I think about his parents, like how would they have presented that to the school and to other, to the teachers, like he's bullied, my son is bullied for his looks. You know, like it's 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 not a black and white thing. Like, oh, it's because he's this. He's or, on the receiving end of lookism. Like if they said that. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's a very uncomfortable thing. Like, oh, my child has, it's not like, it's it's a very uncomfortable thing to talk about and you can't, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. But I also think that that was true It's not about... black and white. It was it was it was difficult to talk about sexism before we named it, and it was difficult to talk about racism before we named it. And in fact, people were told, "Oh, it's normal. You have to put up with that. This is how it is. This is normal. You just have to put up with it." And that and then part of the not wanting to name it is that is that we still have the shame on the inside instead of pushing the shame back on the people right, who are saying exactly. It. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So part of the point of lookism is to name it and say, "Look, this is another form of discrimination. It really cuts deeply. It's not okay, and we shouldn't be ashamed." of our bodies, we should be ashamed of saying nasty things about other people's bodies. And and then we can get that switch. So often parents will say to me, yeah, but it's just normal. That happened to me. I'm like, well, so what? If your grandmother says that X happened to you, how many stories have your grandmother's got about sexism? We don't go, oh, well, you know, we should have just kept putting up with that because that was normal. We go like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, you didn't? You really let them say that to you? Oh my goodness. 
Right. So that's mm-hmm. what that's what we need to do with lookism and go, right, okay. Yeah, we know everybody does it. We know it's everywhere, but it's not okay. And we don't want to live in a world where it is okay. And the more we get into a visual and virtual culture, the more prevalent it is and the harder it cuts. And that's why why the flip comes, because the more it's an ethical ideal, the more we, we feel ashamed of ourselves, literally ashamed of ourselves when we're body shamed. So when it didn't matter yeah. that much, then, you know, for some people it might have done, but for others, they just shrugged it off. We now live in a world where hardly anybody shrugs it off and it's time for us to call it out as what it is, which is really important. But do you think, I, I, I'm kind of like laughing, thinking about this concept, even like internet culture, even understanding this idea of looksism, because I'm thinking about like some of the accounts that are really popular on, on you know, Instagram. And I feel like the idea of the public understanding this idea, like, well, you can't call this celebrity, you know, you can't make fun of their appearance. And I'm not talking about, you know, vicious takedowns, but it's just kind of what the culture does. Like, oh, you know, insert celebrity here's like crazy lip injections or like she's got a fat ass. Like, I can't believe she's with insert celebrity here. Like, I just feel like these, these, this, the world is kind of internet culture, like lives and dies off of looksism. Yeah. And the world lived and died off sexism until very, very recently. And that that switch happened quickly. So how quickly can we instate this? How quickly can we get this done? I mean, I don't know if it happened quickly. (laughs) I'm serious. I think it might still be going on. I don't think we've we've overcome sexism. We haven't solved sexism. (laughs) Yeah. So we haven't solved it. Yeah. No. Uh, But it, it was, it wasn't, I don't think it felt that quick at the time, but we, but yeah, historically speaking, sexism came fast. I, I mean, you know, one of the things about a virtual culture is stuff can change fast. Um, and in terms of how we do it, it, I don't know, right? So we we started the everyday lookism. Well, name it when you see it is is one is basically what you're nobody saying. talks about looks. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like, hey, it's not cool to tear women down like that. That's happening, but I feel like until Harvey Weinstein. Like no one was saying, you know, I know Me Too was invented by someone else. It was coined by someone else before. I feel that if we can start talking about looksism ASAP, that would be great. It would be amazing if in school other kids were calling other kids out and they said nasty things about appearance, just like they do when they say nasty things about race or sex. So even if sexism and racism is still prevalent, we have by no means solved it. We are more ashamed to say those things and we are more policing of what people can say. That's a culture change. It's not about anybody not shaving their body hair. It's about how we think and speak about other people. And and that's why we we try to begin it with the Everyday Lookism campaign, where we try to do something similar to the Everyday Sexism campaign. But it's really interesting because nobody would share their lookist stories on social media. And it's because they're all deeply ashamed. So instead, we have a website where you anonymously upload. This tells you how far back we are on lookism and how deep-seated it is, right? So when people say, oh, God, Heather, how have you moved from serious global ethics to beauty? It's like, have you read the everyday lookism stories? This is blighting people's lives, right? There's nothing trivial about this. And, and, And that's the way I think, you know, too often it's either it's brushed off as trivial or it's seen as so big it's everywhere, uh, and and it, we just got to change that. We know it's not. Our kids know it's not. You talk to any young person about body image and there's hardly anybody who is not affected in one way or another by judgments about how they look or about how they feel about how they look. And your Everyday Lookism campaign, was that just in the UK? Like, is that still up and running, that website? So it's still up and running, but, you know, I'm a philosopher. What the hell do I know about a social media campaign? (laughs) 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 And and, as I say, you put it out on social media. We thought people would would share on Instagram or Twitter, but people people didn't. And, you know, then people, students would talk to me and say, God, no, I'd never want anybody to see I'd said that. And you look at some of the stories and they're, you know, they're things like, you know, some people are reporting things that happened to them 30 or 40 years ago that mean that they still hate their toes or whatever body part it is. I mean, it's really extraordinary how nasty comments about bodies can stay with people and shame them. And we do know that cosmetic surgery recipients will often report um, some insecurity that was brought on by, you know, comment by a a family member or a peer in the playground. And often yeah. not meant, right? People forget them or they mean them right. And well, you just go, no, no. <laughs> well, be- before we 
wrap up with that. I, I just want to bring up one other thing that I found that there's this measurement of how bad the the bad thing that was done to you. So I'm picturing somebody who wants to talk about lookism and wants to talk about how maybe they were bullied because um, you know, they're I had a cross eye or a buck tooth or bad acne. But they're worried that then someone else will come on and say, well, you still have money and you're still of the dominant ethnicity and you're still more privileged than I am. Like there's this comparing of, of, of privilege. So I feel like a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about lookism because it just doesn't feel as bad as some of the other types of um, discrimination that we talked about. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I think that's partly that in many cases, we haven't recognised how dominant and demanding the ideal is, right? We just haven't recognised what the switch there has been. Um, so, um, and also, we, it, when you look at the research, the level of disfigurement or disparment or has very little to do with how one feels about something. So you can't uh, actually yeah. judge from the outside. So very many people who some people might think were, were exceptionally disfigured actually have very good self-image and body esteem. It, it, it's very little to do with how one looks so on the outside. So we shouldn't judge. If, if, you're, if you're, I'm just going to call it an ugliness, whatever your ugly thing is that you're worried right. about, and you want to say, I feel like I'm experiencing lookism, we're not allowed to say, your ugly thing isn't that ugly. Because that just plays into the whole Well, then we're just problem. focusing on bodies again, right? So the whole thing yeah. should be what we say, yeah. what we say and how we treat other people, not how we judge other people's looks, right? So when you go back to compare, oh, is it that bad? You're still actually going, oh, let's, let, let's pay more attention to how you look. And it's not about how you look yeah. at all. And then you say, oh, well, you know, uh, lookism, it's just skin deep, right? We know it's not skin deep, right? That's the whole point. You've really just made that limits, case very clearly, right? yeah. <laughs> and then you compare it to other forms of discrimination. Of course, they interact in all kinds of ways, right? We, we, you know, uh, racial discrimination and lookism often have lots in common and go hand in hand in some instances. Um, you know, we've certainly seen lookism and, and sexism, the whole where we started from, all the talking about what happens to women that doesn't happen to men. Um, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely embedded. And by ignoring one bit, of it and one bit that's actually becoming more important it, you know it's yeah. not like oh well you know let's address lookism and let's forget about sexism and, and and all the other forms of discrimination absolutely not let's call out discrimination as a complex nexus and let's try and address it as a complex nexus if we if we pretend some bits aren't there we end up not addressing any of it because one of the reasons you might think that appearance has become more important is that we have addressed some forms of sexism so you know oh well we'll just lay it on harder on another one right so. Oh my God, I want to let you loose in the internet comments. I'm just going to be ta like tagging you on Twitter every time. I, like, I just want you to like say all this, but like our society wants you to say it in like 160 characters. So that kind of makes it tough, doesn't it? I'll just send them to this podcast so they can listen because I think, I think it would really help you know, for more people to say it. Heather, I'm like, I have so much to think about. Uh, it's it's crazy. I almost feel weird doing this. We do at the end of every interview with our guests, we do a little speed round just to get them to know them better. So now I want to ask you the questions we ask all of our guests and let's see how it goes. Because I feel like I know your philosophy. <laughs> I want to know, know you now. <laughs> um, do you remember back to when you were little with the first beauty or grooming product you first tried or remember using that you actually liked? Yeah, my first lipstick that me and my best friend had, who's still my best friend, right, um, uh, was called Pacific Prawn. And it was from a high British high street shop. And it was a really, really, really bad apricot colour. This was the 1980s, right? Pacific Prawn. I, I'm sorry, that is giving me the giggles. Like, who wants to look like a shrimp? I don't know. That's just like not a very glamorous colour name. I'm but I, I will never forget it, right? Lovely peach, yes. Okay, if there's one rule that you wish everyone would follow, what would it be? Don't say nasty things about other people's bodies. Excellent. And what's your favorite indulgent snack? And now I feel bad that I put the word indulgent in there. I should just say, <laughs> what's your favorite snack? Well, if it's indulgent, because of course I am subject to the same I just pressures. put a moral standard on snacking, didn't I? <laughs> I'm subject to the same pressure as everybody else. It's got to be ice cream, right? So. Okay. All right. Thank you for not judging me for doing <laughs> I don't judge. Yeah, exactly. There we go. It's circular logic here. What is your most played song on your favorites playlist right now? So it's my daughter's favorite, which is ironically, You're So Vain. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. We brought it like, it's meta now. I love it. And then last, if there were to be a movie made of your life, who would narrate it? 
any any northern British actress because there's not many northern British people in academia. <laughs> so northern British woman. Um, and actress. you're from where are you from? I'm from Yorkshire. Okay. And now forgive my ignorance. I imagine that's in the north of England. That's in the north of England. So Maxine Peake or any Jess, of Jess, this is when you're supposed to save yeah. me. Jess lived, yeah. lived there. So I like knows these things more than I do. Yes, it's from the north of England. This was so informative. Uh, I learned a lot and I hope that our listeners did too. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com. We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at fatmascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.